The Ram Dama's Kingdom by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 5 The Attack of the Zones. Savad and Kellogg hurried down the White Line Tunnel. The ever-present glow was affecting the general's eyes. They moved far underground, still very much aware of the tons of ocean water that could come crashing through the triangular portal. The tunnel finally leveled off at the base of a white wall. Their presence must have activated some opening mechanism. As the wall slid open, they wasted no time in getting out of danger. Well, general, said Savard as the wall moved back into place. I would say that we are the luckiest two men on Earth, or wherever it is we are. Damn, I thought for sure we were on Earth, replied Kellogg. You amaze me, you know that? Savard told him. You saved my life back there. You seem to be able to sum up a situation and then invent your own code of conduct. Doctor, please, now isn't the time. You really do. You deem it necessary to do all that. Like planning to save the space program. You manipulated, you stole, you lied, you cheated, you killed. All within that set of stipulations. Then when you thought you were going to die, you let down your barriers. What is this, some kind of psychoanalysis? I'm not in the mood, doctor. Then you blew up the ship when you thought you were back on Earth. Absolutely incredible. And you saved my life. If we were on Earth, you might even have let me die. But you knew we were on another planet with no hope of getting back to the SIA. So you decided to save me. Aside from all your armchair psychology, we're not on Earth. And probably not even in our time. In the future? Asked Kellogg. Or in the past, one cannot tell for sure. Even if we had years to evaluate the distortion and its effects, I doubt we could tell where we are. Perhaps we should just wait, said Kellogg as he looked ahead. The tunnel was getting wider. Wait for some green-eyed little goon to come out of the woodwork and have us for dinner. Does every concept of life have to be belligerent? Right now, I'm more interested in what all this means. We obviously have been transported through that portal, either across space or maybe even into another dimension. And from the looks of that portal, I think it's been some time since it's been functional. That lettering, it seems to be so foreign, said Kellogg, a man who had trouble understanding anything that was not American, let alone alien. Foreign? Foreign to us, but very familiar to the beings who constructed it, said Savard as he smelled the air recirculated and conducive to our life forms. We could have landed on a planet with cyanide gas for an atmosphere. Well, thank God for little favors, right? I just want to know what these things look like. General, if we do encounter a being who isn't exactly sharing our physical characteristics, please do not go through your usual theatrics. We may need this pistol in order to survive. Suppose they take that as the obvious sign of hostility that it is. I will be my pleasant and charming self, said Kellogg, more and more grateful that they had survived at all. The tunnel continued to broaden out as it wound around. Glowing white tiles, now five stories high, illuminated the entire area. The huge supports were forming a room maybe 200 feet high. Incredibly towering blue doors, emblazoned with the same strange alien writing, towered over them. Golden letters were surrounded by intricate art forms and scrawlings. A feeling of antiquity and respect came over both men. 
Is this some kind of worship temple? Asked the general as they moved toward the doors. That's a very good question, said Savard, studying the letters. They were not coated with paint, nor were they composed of metal. Rather, each individual letter seemed baked into the glistening gold glaze with a rubbery tensor. Doors must mean something, stated Kellogg. The question is, General, what in God's name is behind them? He asked, stepping back to review the situation. Kellogg smiled at the doctor and then knocked on the left door. Savad was too perplexed to laugh, but to his amazement, both doors started to open slowly. Cleaner and fresher air rushed upon them, and they could hear gushing water. There was, however, no one there to greet them. The inside room was spectacular. Enormous water jets raced upward from a central oblong pool, maybe a half a mile in diameter. Exotic trees, never before seen varieties, spread their branches outward. Their leaves and the plant leaves were bright and intense, forming a visual wonderland around the conventional green grass. Savard walked ahead of the general, gazing at the new life forms. Both men looked up to the top of the room, hundreds of feet above them. The blue ceiling looked like a sky, it was ringed with dozens of bright yellow spheres at its base. In reality, the room was a separate little world all unto itself. Look at that, doctor, shouted Kellogg as he pointed to a stone wall, perhaps built 20 stories up the side. A thin waterfall cascaded over the artificial precipice to the pool below. This damn place is, is miles in diameter. A masterful accomplishment, masterful replied the inspired Savard. He walked ahead of Kellogg across a stone-lined rampway and over to the sandy shore of a pool. He knelt down gently as if he were going to pray, and then he let the light brown grains of sand trickle through his fingers. He reached out, cupping his hands in the water. He lifted it upward and cooled his tired face. Who could have built all this? Kellogg wanted to know. He pulled out a bright orange leaf from one of the bushes and studied it closely. Looks like any leaf, except I've never seen patterns like this. I would hope that the builders of this place, being as advanced as they obviously are, would be far beyond an aggressive warlike mentality. Because if they're not, they'll have us for supper. Yeah, I get it, remarked the general. Bluntly put, but very much true. Well, where the hell are they? Why haven't they discovered us? He asked as he threw the leaf into the water. Both men looked upward, leaning carefully as they heard a hissing noise across the pool to the right. Adrenaline surged into their blood as they prepared themselves to meet the makers of this magnificent room. The noise grew louder and more confusing. Rows of trees and shrubs as well as grass were being trimmed by some unknown force. It was all proceeding like clockwork, but there was no one there. It was all proceeding like clockwork, but there was no one there. Apparently our, apparently our friends are more advanced than we thought, remarked Savard. Hundreds, hundreds of trees were being pruned, the leaves disappearing into thin air. I would suggest, General, that we get up on that rampway. I do not plan to stay here and wonder how the forest will react to us. I'm not in the mood for a trim, said Kellogg as they ran from the edge of the pool and up to the stone-lined ramp. The rampway formed a path through the trees toward vine-covered walls. As they moved higher, the vines disappeared, and the outer room, visible over the stone wall, was becoming more awesome. Its true dimensions were staggering. Overall, they were left with a very pleasant and relaxed feeling, more than likely the intention of the makers, 
approximately 15 stories above the pool. Glass cubicles extended outward from the stone wall and lined the sloping rampway. Stepping inside, they were afforded an excellent view of the area, but it was the cubicle itself that produced the attention. The glass was smoother than anything they had ever felt and apparently impervious to damage. A clear glass chair or couch abutted the outside wall. It was soft, cushiony, and very comfortable and on both sides of the clear pillow were clusters of glass rods at varying lengths, all mysterious. I doubt this is really glass, said Savad, making himself at home in the chair. Perhaps another relaxing device. Never mind that. What about those damn trimmers? asked the general as he looked over the glass toward the pool far below. I see your point, general. Let's proceed along the ramp. Maybe we will, for better or worse, encounter these beings who constructed this place. Two men continued the climb up the inclined walkway. They were nearing the bright yellow spheres. The rampway wound above the lights and directly under the ceiling. Unlike its blue color below, it was one tremendous clear circle. Above, like peering through a concave lens, the symmetrical blue and gold tiles warped upward. All light sources were shielded by a wide aluminum colored rim. Savard stepped under the final portion of the rampway a tiny rim below the ceiling circle. It's a long way down, he said to the general. Then he looked to the floor. There were a series of light-colored geometric shapes, and as the doctor stepped on them, they glowed brightly. He had activated some other force that was lifting both men slowly in the air toward the ceiling. Oh, dear God, what have I done? Now, now we're really in trouble, cried the general as they floated above the whole room. Some type of field had brought them up to the ceiling. They passed right through the ceiling as if absorbed and in seconds later found themselves standing on the blue and gold tiles in some type of rotunda. Well, you can't say that wasn't unique, General, said Savad, not fully recovered from the experience. The hell kind of place is this anyway? Savad looked around the rotunda. There were four passageways equidistantly placed in the light green walls. The walls were laced with more writing and art forms. What surprised Savard was the ceiling, the thick glass, twisting images of red walls, and what appeared to be yet another room. It's a very, very interesting place, said Savard as he once again began studying the writing. Doctor, come on, yelled Kellogg. Savad looked to his left toward one of the doors. The general had decided to do some exploring on his own, but as he moved across the floor, the doctor looked upward. Kellogg was looking down through the glass from the upper floor, yet his image... I, 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 I just walked through, exclaimed the astonished Kellogg. A dimensional door as he walked forward through the doorway and into the upper room. This is truly unbelievable. Well, how is this possible? The general wanted to know. No stairs, you just walk through? He looked back at Kellogg. Only one of these doors leads to the upper floor, one to the lower, and the other two contain some kind of sculpture. This place gives me the creeps, Savard, said Kellogg as he felt his inside pocket for his pistol. Then he walked with Savard through the other doorway into a very unique room. The room looked like a miniature city of cylindrical skyscrapers built on tiered platforms. The surface colors, like the plant life below, was brilliant. Each form had its own distinctive glow, casting a cavalcade of color. And as they reached each of the structures, 
It opened from no discernible seam or door. Savard shook his head as they saw another one of the glass chairs and pillow clusters. He stepped back and the cylinder sealed itself. Explanations, doctor? asked Kellogg. I have no answers, General. There's no way I can even begin to fathom all this technology. I feel so. Those chairs are small, meaning beings smaller than ourselves. Beings that can sense color and beauty. Beings who are mobile. Yes, mobile to the point of dimensional doors. They must be extremely sophisticated. And this place, the cylinders, it must be an information or communications place, possibly a library or information bank. Well, that sounds logical, Doctor, said Kellogg as they moved along, each cylinder opening as they passed. What astounds me, said Savard as they walked, is the... Kellogg drew his gun when a small purple glowing cylinder opened, revealing the skeletal remains of a being lying on a glass chair. Its head was shaped like an oxen skull and brain with a large nasal cavity and mouth protruding outward. Only about four and a half feet tall, the being, the being had tiny hands with eight long, nimble fingers. On the floor was a conglomeration of short, very fine brown hair or fur. Kellogg peered up at the doctor. An extraterrestrial, he asked almost in a whisper. Savad nodded slowly. If this is any indication, General, these people are all dead. The system they created lives on. How can they be dead? I mean, if they're so advanced. I don't know he said, shaking his head. Unbelievable. Aliens. We are the aliens, General. Well, we shouldn't just stand here gloating, said Kellogg. Agreed. It's still possible we could find one of these creatures alive. Well, I sure as hell hope not, replied Kellogg as they moved back toward the rotunda. What about these doors? Do they extend infinitely? asked Savard as he looked upward toward the green and gold walls above. Only one way to find out, said Kellogg, motioning toward the dimensional door. Savard walked through and they began their journey upward. And now, hours had passed. They had literally walked through several hundred doors. Each wall color repeated itself over and over again. Savard, although convinced they were indeed in new areas, wondered if they were not trapped in some kind of dimensional warp. And with limited provisions, that could be fatal. General called Savard as he looked above. I wish you would stay back here. I don't know what's up above. But Kellogg could not hear his pleas. The general was moving through doors at a rapid clip, growing increasingly uneasy as he passed several floors above Savard. For the next 15 minutes, the doctor heard nothing. He was beginning to fear that something had happened to Kellogg. Then he heard the general's voice echoing throughout the other rooms. Up ahead, doctor! Doctor, can you hear me? He called out, Doctor! Doctor! General! 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 Shouted Savard as he saw him above. There you are! Here I am! Why did you run off like Why did you run off like that? Never mind, I found the end. The beginning of the end. The last room. You did? About 30 more floors. He said, pulling the doctor forward. I can see the button. I can see the bottom of the pool on the ceiling. What are you saying? This thing closes in on itself? Asked Savard as they ran forward. That, that, and more. Minutes later, they reached the last room. It was much larger than the underlying rotundas. In round circular doorways, all very reflective, surrounded a central control area. Savard counted 50 doors in all. 
and above was the massive pool, bubbling constantly from water jets, all somehow bound together in one complete system. Passageways, said the doctor as he went over to the control panels. Each of the circular reflections had a corresponding silver cylinder designated by an alien letter. Passageways to where? Let's find out, said Savard as he pushed some of the cylinders down to the panel. It locked in place and one of the reflective circles came to life as a bright blue beam moved out of the control panel. Outside was a darkened landscape overshadowed by a starry sky. You think we could just walk out there? He took a few steps toward the scene. I would suggest we try more of the cylinders, find a more hospitable place. He pushed one cylinder after another. Only one at a time would operate. Oceans, rugged mountains, and even a desert where they had landed came into view, and several shots of the blue sky. Ah, oh, this doesn't make any sense at all, said Kellogg, unless, unless we're going skydiving. Savard smiled and kept pushing the cylinders. Here we go, said the doctor as the afternoon sunshine illuminated the room. The outside area was filled with trees, earth trees, maples, oaks, pines. Is that earth? asked Kellogg. Those trees, doctor. Those are definitely earth trees, he said as he joined Savard next to the blue beam. Those are definitely earth trees. Is that earth? asked Kellogg. Those trees, Doctor, they're definitely Earth trees, he said as he joined Savard next to the blue beam. Now let's go through. I agree, but... But what? But this is an alien device. We don't know what it will do to us. Out there, I see life, Savard. In here, I see nothing. Dead bodies and weird doors. I understand. I just wanted to make my point in case something happens, said Savard as they heard rustling through the forest. In the distance, through the trees, a figure moved along the slope. A short man with dirty blonde hair wearing a tatted white jumpsuit. Well, that man is human, shouted Kellogg. He's human! He most certainly is, said Savard as he tried to understand. Well, that cinches it, Doctor. Let's go through. All right, said Savard. He reached through the blue beam and into the round opening. The Doctor surmised he was... The doctor surmised he was actually reaching across a special matrix and he ran his fingers over the tree bark. As he marveled at the achievement, Kellogg walked into the beam and onto the solid ground. In the forest, he turned around and saw Savard's hands sticking out of the air. Then he walked back in, grabbing the doctor and pulled him through. There! How's that grab you, doctor? He smiled. Savard turned and moved his hand forward just to see if they would return. His hand disappeared into the upper room and then moved back out. Do you realize the meaning of all this? He asked Kellogg. It means we get out of this alien rat trap. Savard turned again, but this time his hand moved through the air. I thought so. This device is obviously on a timer of some kind. I don't think we can get back in there. Oh, who cares now? Said Kellogg, looking through the forest. Where the hell is that guy? Perhaps he went down the other side of the hill, suggested Savard. Let's find him. A human being, he said as they moved toward the other hill. On this damn planet. At least we have a fighting chance out here. Out of that desert, Savard said as he followed the general up the hill. They moved through the flickering sunlight under the tall green trees. Savard was growing winded as Kellogg sealed the hill and looked down through the trees on the far side. There he is, cried Kellogg, and he pointed. Hey, you! He shouted, cupping his hands around his mouth. Hey, you, up the hill! But the man, seemingly impervious to his words, 
kept moving along between the slopes. Guy must be deaf or something, answered Kellogg as he moved forward again. There was a steep rocky grade at the top of the other side. Kellogg scrambled up the rocks ahead of Savard, making it over the edge. He stood with his hands on his hips. In the distance across grassy plains was the strangest configuration of buildings he had ever seen. Bright blue in color and each of the extremely thin structures ran like matchsticks in unusual directions, curving upward and inward, around and about. Entire sections of buildings protruding downward and upward at sharp angles, stopping in mid-air, all glowing brightly with no apparent window or opening. Well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen, remarked Kellogg. Savard moved over to the final rocks and got his first glimpse of the most unique architecture. More mysteries. Is that the ocean beyond? Never mind the ocean. Who would build something like that? Those buildings are hundreds of stories high. Look at the angles. How can they even stand? I can't believe that human beings built that. Which reminds me, where the hell did that guy go? Said Kellogg as he started looking around. Hey, hey you! I doubt he's going to come running, General. But his presence out here is encouraging. Let's just rest for a moment. Yeah, there has to be other people around here. What do you make of all this? Humans? Trees from Earth? I don't know what to make of it. We could be on Earth, but who knows what that door brought us through. Like you said, Doctor, that city or whatever it is doesn't look like the work of human hands. Well, maybe we have a chance now. We can actually get out of this mess. At least live a life without worrying about starving. That's not enough. I just wonder how we can get back. From the bushes came an answer. The blonde-haired man moved out on his hands and knees, finally standing up in front. We can't go back, he told them as he walked forward, staring at the ground. We can't go back. They could see from his glassy eyes and contorted facial expressions. He was not in total command of his facilities. He slowly looked up as he approached them, his eyes completely transfixed to another level of reality. Heavy clumps were pasted on his skull. Where the hell are we? Yeah, yeah, here we are, here we are. <laughs> oh, for God's sakes, he said to Savard. Are only hoping this place turns out to be a damn bubblehead? Sir, said Savard as he moved over to the man. Sir, can you help us? Here, of course, yes, yes. Then he turned and took several steps toward the forest. Once again, he just stared at the ground. Oh, what the hell is he doing? asked the exasperated Kellogg. Sir, you have to talk to us. We're lost. Forget it, Savard. He's just a damn zombie, said the general. He looked over at the man. The man's legs were cut and scratched from traveling through the forest. Just let him go. Wait, said Savard, taking the remaining packet of nutrient out of his flight suit pocket. He walked over to the man and held out the packet. No, that's it. Give the fool the rest of us. Shut up, general, he said, holding it out. The man slowly raised his head. His eyes were vacant, but he did take the container, grasping it with both hands as he, as he brought the liquid to his mouth. He spilled some of it on his jumpsuit, and then Kellogg grew angry. Come on, Savard, we need that stuff, chided Kellogg. Do you know where you are? he asked the man. The man smiled broadly and looked toward the distant ocean. Here we are. Who are you? badgered Savard. I am Raymond. Savard looked back at the general and then back at Raymond. Raymond, tell us, where are we? Oh, I, 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 
he said, turning his head. He said, turning his head around crazily. Where are we? He started yelling. Leave, leave, they're coming. Take us back, take us back. Back where, you dummy? Back where? Asked Kellogg. His frosty blue eyes started to water. To, to, to the pit. The cruelest place in the universe. Where is the pit? Asked Savard, holding his shoulders. I, 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 yeah! He said, almost choking, as he threw his arms into the air. It's all right, Raymond. It's all right, assured the doctor. But Raymond dropped to his knees, shaking his head in pain. No, no! He cried as they heard a very low vibration in the air. It was distant, but so loud they could feel it in their bones. The hell is that noise? asked Kellogg as he looked back into the woods. I don't know, General. Z -Z Zoomers! Zoomers! cried Raymond, holding on to Savard. Zoomers! Back to the pit! Back to the pit! Zoomers! questioned Kellogg as he kept looking around. The noise grew louder. The hell is Zoomers! Where is that sound coming from? shouted Savard as Raymond hung on. The vibrations were oscillating now as the answer to the doctor's question became quite clear. Through the tree leaves down the slope were ominous black flying machines advancing toward them, rounded in the front, taping gradually down its length to a rear fin in the back. Although there was tinted glass up front, the rest of the hull was covered by a dull black coating. It moved slowly right over the rocks. Zoomers! Zoomers! cried Raymond. Oh, God, said the general as the Zoomer's side door slid open. Standing in the opening were frightening creatures, very tall and very rangy, with highly reflective red skin, and smaller than human oval-shaped heads with bright blue eye panels, and a nose and mouth that almost looked human. As they prepared to jump, Raymond pointed upward. Zooms! 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 Damn it, man! yelled Kellogg as he turned to run. Get out of here, Savard! Come on! As Kellogg ran for the woods, several of the zones leaped out of the zoomer and into the clearing. Raymond held on to the frozen Savard as the zones surrounded them. More zones leaped out and chased Kellogg into the woods. As they brought the general up the slopes, a white-skinned zone appeared above. He seemed to be in charge and had two red stripes on his shoulder skin. Very gracefully, he leaped into the clearing. security bands he said, looking at their wrists. We lost them, said Kellogg. Say, can you tell us? Silence! Find your clothing. Savard, frightened beyond belief, looked over at Kellogg. We're not from this place, that's obvious, said the general. I can crush your skull. Now tell me who you are. Are you basin people? Our ship crashed here, said Savard, fearing for the general's life. The white zone released his mighty grip. He took a tiny device no larger than a thimble from his belt. Pressing it back, a bright red beam shot forward, hitting the general. His eyes opened wide and he fell to the ground. Then the zone leader turned to survive and rain and quickly rendered them immovable. Your orders, Commander Rayleth. Bring them to the zoomer. Motioning for the zoomer to come lower in the clearing. They had no clearance said one of the red zones as he looked at Raymond's wrist. Something had been ripped from his skin and established for him. Except for this one. Irrelevant. Get them inside. Bring all their effects to the Citadel offices. 
and then dumped them into the pit. The White's own grabbed Kellogg's revolver as they took it out of his suit. He studied it very closely, feeling the metal and speculating on how it worked. A weapon, Commander. A very primitive weapon, answered Wilton. He followed the zones as they carried the bodies over to the humming Zuma. They dragged them inside the darkened ship and the door sealed to the hull. They lifted upward high into the clearing in the woods. The oscillations modulated faster and faster until it reached a height high above the forest. Then at great speed it shot across the plains toward the bizarre city in the distance. Join us again next week for another adventurous episode of the Ramdamas Kingdom, Who Is He Who Commands the Masses? Produced by Fitton Theater of the Words.